question and the San Francisco Education Fund invite you to speak out on No Child Left Behind and take your views to the White House. Attend a public hearing on the No Child Left Behind Act on Wednesday, January 18, 2006 from 4 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the San Francisco Public Library's Coret Auditorium, located at 100 Larking Street, near Grove Street and the Civic Center BART Station in San Francisco. Come to share your thoughts about the impact of this law on California's schools and community. To learn more, go to www.sfedfund.org. It's 3.01. Next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Stay with us. Ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone With Stone's Throw Today is Tuesday, September 17th, 2006. Okay, time to learn some new tricks, boys and girls. Yes, <laughs> tricks for 2006. Oh, I've been gone for weeks and weeks. It seems to me I got so sick I almost became a Catholic. Anyway, last night I watched the Golden Globes. And I noticed that they'd gone gay. Hooray! A Brokeback Mountain won Best Picture. Best Director for Ang Lee, you know. Uh, it's all about uh, two soulmates, two guys who, uh, yes, are in love. Isn't it funny that the only, the only stories that seem to work these days are stories of lost love, uh, or impossible loves. Anyway, uh, actors, several actors won for gay roles, one for trans-American, so one's about uh, transsexuals, and then, oh, the guy who played Truman Capote, dear Truman Capote, yes, aha, uh, he got a Golden Globe. I always felt for the real Truman after I read a biography which reported that his mother, his mother, called him <laughs> Little Miss Mouse Fart. Poor Truman. No wonder he was uh, a bit weird. Anyway, the award-winning movies do seem to be mostly on the progressive side. Hollywood fighting the good fight. Um, cultural wars. George 
Clooney's Syriana, uh, the one about the uh, oil and the uh, uh, covert and overt uh, American corruption. Uh, also, good night and good luck, the one about Edward R. Murrow and uh, all about the McCarthy era. Those two are at the top of the list. George Clooney seems to me to be an unlikely hero of the left. I was sorry to hear that he he risked his health to do that role in Syriana, gained weight and then got seriously hurt uh, playing a scene in which he was tortured. Um, Clooney is still in recovery. Uh, He talks about a year of acute pain and uh, some permanent damage he may have suffered. I'm one of those people who questions um, this romantic impulse of some actors and artists, you know, to live the part, to suffer for real. It seems to me excessive. They need to put themselves in physical danger. Uh, I guess the ultimate example would be Oscar Wilde, uh, the gay, gay martyr, yes. Two years at hard labor in a British prison pretty much uh, ended his life, you know, just became the world's penultimate uh, Christ figure. Yes, he uh, he did get some literature out of it. Um, if you if you like that sort of thing, I kind of like the plays better, but uh, never mind. George Clooney does seem to be reaching for uh, a depth of suffering that well, the Christ Christ impulse is probably noble, but I just thought he could play the role at his own weight, maybe thicken his suit a bit. Uh, theater is, after all, illusion. It's supposed to give us, uh, what do you call that, uh, a moral understanding. Uh, I've been reading all about a guy called Philip Pullman, and he says that theater is the school of morals. Ah, uh, yes, he prefers the the story, the once upon a time, he says, to the thou shalt not. Philip Pullman, uh, I don't have time to tell you all about him. I'll save that for another day. But if you check the 26th December New Yorker, he seems to be the answer to C.S. Lewis. There's an article called Far From Narnia by Laura Miller. It's about secular fantasies instead of Christian fantasies. Uh I'm trying to read his books, a little trouble getting into them, but uh, I, I think I'm beginning to get it. Of course, as I said once before, I think weeks ago, I'm into Mary Poppins this, this Christmas. Yes, back to the great goddess herself. I used Mary Poppins this year. Last year it was the Wizard of Oz. Anyway, uh, I, I was worried about George Clooney. I wrote him a postcard and told him to uh, stop trying to live the part. It isn't like he was playing Raging Bull. You remember the part that Robert De Niro balked up for? I guess I admire people who go above and beyond the call of duty, but I'm just impatient with unnecessary suffering because there's so much actual suffering. Real martyrs are chosen by the gods, by history, by fate. Like Martin Luther King, they are born to their roles and then they what is it? Grow into their uh, sainthood. Nothing can stop that metamorphosis in someone like King. I, a friend just 
said to me this morning that he was channeling. I don't really know what that means. I've never known what it really meant. Uh, but uh, there's no question uh, but what uh, he gives uh, meaning to our lives. Uh, such people, such people are all too human often. There's a fuss made about that, you know, when they are less than perfect, <laughs> you know, like Gandhi or Malcolm X. But history combines their temperaments and uh, the world gets another prophet in the end. Uh, I don't know. I think I prefer them to be oh, all too human like King. Yesterday, I listened to the tributes to Martin Luther King, remembering the day that uh, he was assassinated. Back in the late... 60s, things were a bit bollocked up. I was at, well, I was teaching at a school in Oakland. And uh, the next morning, uh, the teachers were trying to control their black students. Uh, I was at, well, it was Huey Newton's old school. Woodrow Wilson over there near Oakland Tech. Uh, I had made copies of the I Have a Dream speech. And I had uh, copied the letter from Birmingham jail. And I put together some pages of Thoreau's civil disobedience. I thought, well, uh, I could explain to the students, uh, illustrate the history of resistance to unjust laws and that sort of thing. (laughs) The other teachers told me not to make waves. None of them wanted uh, copies of King's works, they said, you know, get the students' minds on something else. I guess I was pretty much an idiot then as now, imagining that the world can see the, uh, take the long view of things. I mean, I I thought I was there to help. Uh, My students had talked about whether it was right for uh, Martin King to condemn the war in Vietnam most of them admired Muhammad Ali. So when uh, Ali refused to go to kill the, the gooks, as the kids called them, yes, then they got it. They understood. I remember <laughs> putting Edmund Burke's line, you know, dated 1770. I put it up there on the chalkboard. I left it there um uh, Oh, gee whiz, for most of the semester, it was a line. uh, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now, we've all grown to dread that quote. Uh, We see it everywhere today. The screenwriter used it in, uh, remember the movie Driving Miss Daisy? The screenwriter put it in, Martin King's speech there, and we see, we see Miss Daisy listening and doing nothing. As a a Jew, Miss Daisy wouldn't admit that the Ku Klux Klan had uh, bombed her church. She wouldn't acknowledge that she and her black chauffeur, you remember Morgan Freeman played the role, She and her black chauffeur had the same oppressor there in the South. I think 
Uh, today, I'd like to read you just a little bit of Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail, just to refresh your memory. I'd like to do it in honor of this Judge Sam Alito. Oh, a neocon, a man whose silence is deafening and whose uh, probable appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court should send shivers down the spine of every free-thinking citizen in our land. As Justice Blackmun once wrote, a chill wind blows. Right, you can't outlaw half the population without causing trouble. Here's Martin Luther King. Now, these are just excerpts. The letter from Birmingham jail is quite long. Uh, I find it very useful for... Uh, high school students because uh, these days most of the time Martin Luther King Jr. is simply reduced to an icon. People need to read exactly what he thought, uh, what he felt. And so here is what he wrote in the letter from Birmingham jail. Just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and half-truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal. We must see the need of having non-violent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help men rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. History is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Individuals may see the moral light. Individuals may voluntarily give up their unjust posture. But groups are more immoral than individuals. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools, it is rather strange and paradoxical to find us consciously breaking laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws one has not only a legal but moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that, quote, an unjust law is no law at all. I hope you can see the distinction I am trying to point out. One who breaks an unjust law must do it openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty 
I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is, in reality, expressing the very highest respect for law. Of course, there is nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. It was seen sublimely in the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I never can pronounce that name, sorry, Abednego, yes, to obey the laws of Nebuchadnezzar because a higher moral law was involved. This kind of civil disobedience was practiced superbly by the early Christians who were willing to face hungry lions and the excruciating pain of chopping blocks before submitting to certain unjust laws of the Roman Empire. To a degree, academic freedom is a reality today because Socrates practiced civil disobedience. We can never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. And everything the Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. We must come to see that human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. And Martin King goes on uh, at great length and finishes this letter from Birmingham Jail with these words. If I have said anything in this letter that is an understatement of the truth and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. That's a little bit of flavor of what Martin Luther King wrote in his letter from Birmingham Jail. And I have often thought, uh, yes, I have often thought uh, that if we would spend a little more time, uh, yes, in the classroom studying the man's actual works. Uh, I don't know what it is these days. I think it's probably something that happened when advertising became the main main mode of communication in this country, yes, we have all these icons, hardening of the categories. Uh, there is more. There is more uh, things in heaven and earth, yes. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of. And I do wish, I do wish we could get our uh, scholars to take time to go into detail. Uh, I was thinking about that. I just have a few minutes to talk about Philip Pullman, I see, yes. Philip Pullman's secular fantasy. I 
I always think that the first six years of life is when children get their ideology. And I listened to this guy in the uh, uh, court, the guy who's supposed to be the, the new justice of the Supreme Court. And when I heard him condemn the uh, uh, hippies, the anarchists, the uh, anti-war movement of the late 60s, I thought, uh, I wonder what his childhood education was all about. I wonder, you know, uh, whether he was taught that liberty was the first order of business in human life. Uh, obviously, he is a neoconservative. He believes in control, in punishment, um, in uh, sticking to the rules. Uh, he's a Christian, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, patriarchal tyranny is the name of the game. So, I was looking here, yes, at Philip Pullman's uh, this article is called Far From Narnia, and it seems that there is a uh, writer that I I need to study more. Yes, he's definitely the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's the one who believes that theater is the best place to go for your theology. I've always thought of theater as left-wing theology, and he confirms my conviction that having been raised in the theater was the best moral education possible. Uh, at first, I thought that the study of history would be the best way to get a moral education, and I have always been a serious historian. It was my minor. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about Philip Pullman. Uh, he is a, a Brit, and the books, yes, I'm, I'm just reading the first ones. They're called, there's a trilogy called His Dark Materials. And as I said, you can check this out in the December 26th issue of The New Yorker. Uh, let's see, it says here, every year at the University of East Anglia, in Norwich, England, a guest is invited to speak on the subject of religion and education. Sometimes a prominent bishop is asked to deliver a lecture. But as a rule, the event isn't a big draw. Okay, this year the auditorium was filled. Uh, let's see. The speaker is Philip Pullman, fervently admired for his sophisticated trilogy of children's novels called collectively His Dark Materials. In Britain, these books have sold millions of copies. He, he writes contentious essays on subjects ranging from censorship to education. Here's a typical declaration, which the sort of thing that appears regularly in the London papers. Philip Pullman writes, We need to ensure that children are not forced to waste their time on barren rubbish, okay? Okay, his grandfather was an Anglican parish priest. Yes, in his books, Fantasy is a springboard for exploring cosmic questions about the purpose of human life and the nature of the universe. Wow! <laughs> I was raised on Hans Christian Andersen, on martyrdom, sorrow, masochism. He is one of England's most outspoken atheists, this Philip Pullman. In his trilogy, a young girl becomes enmeshed in an epic struggle against a nefarious church known as the 
Magisterium, another character, an ex-nun turned particle physicist named Mary Malone, describes Christianity as a very powerful and convincing mistake. (laughs) I love it. Pullman once told an interviewer that every single religion that has a monotheistic God ends up by persecuting other people and killing them because they don't accept him. Right, there you go. Uh, I, of course, I'm deviating here from this article. I, of course, am a pantheistic type. I love the pagans. I love the notion that there's a God for everything, you know, uh, One sometimes is more important than another, but uh, I have at least a dozen gods in my living room. I I think the more the merrier. Uh, (laughs) One of the conservative British columnists, a guy called Peter Hitchens, you know who Peter is, brother of Christopher Hitchens, okay? He published an article about Philip Pullman entitled, This is the Most Dangerous Author in Britain. He called the writer, yes, uh, what the atheists would have been praying for if atheists prayed. Well, I certainly do. I don't know if I'm an atheist exactly. Uh, uh, I certainly meditate, and I'm certainly glad to know that Philip Pullman is out there doing his job. It says here that he's a rangy, spirited man in his 50s. He resembles an intelligent and amused stork. (laughs) At the lectern, he began. Quite what prompted you to ask me to talk about religious education, I cannot immediately see, given that I voiced some criticisms of religion in the past. Anyway, he goes on to say, I don't profess any religion. I don't think it's possible that there is a God. I have the greatest difficulty in understanding what is meant by the word spiritual or spirituality, but... I think I can say something about moral education. And I think it has something to do with the way we understand stories. Yes, oh yes. As I keep saying over and over again, we are our stories. Uh, Now, uh, this article, once again by Laura Miller in The New Yorker, called Far From Narnia, goes on at great length about the effect of theater, uh, about the great school of morals, yes. Uh, The private circle of life. Uh, Okay. He insists, yes, he insists that we learn from Macbeth's fate that killing is horrible for the killer as well as the victim. Before reading a passage from Emma by Jane Austen, yes, he says we learn what's good and what's bad, what's generous and unselfish, what's cruel and mean. There is no need to consult scripture. Anyway, the gist of all of this is, as Pullman once put it, thou shalt not might reach the head, but it takes once upon a time to reach the heart. Okay, I recommend you checking out Philip Pullman as a uh, an educator and a thinker. And maybe next time I'll have more chance to talk about his books. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. 
And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. Hello, listeners. This is Annie Hallett, your listener representative on the KPFA board, and it gives me great pleasure to invite you to our town hall meeting facilitated by the Outreach Committee of the board on Sunday, January 22nd from 1 to 4 p.m. It's your turn to talk about KPFA and about our community. Please join us in San Francisco at the Women's Building, 18th at Valencia, which is easily accessible by BART and Muni Lines. The afternoon will include a facilitated discussion with panelists including Matthew Lazar, our KPFA historian, and staff and listener representatives. With an open mic for all of you, please join us for this exciting event. For further details, go to kpfa.org. KPFA is seeking a program director who is serious about creative quality programming.